So we just had an interesting topic arise right before we start. Started. Past, present, future. My know. microphone smells like burning. Is that normal? You always have a, a smell upon your microphone. Well, usually it's a stank, but now it's a burning smell. Like an electrical. If my head just lights on fire, it's probably... It might be my headphones. I don't know. I don't know. Both of those things are stupid. I don't know why I brought that up. No. We were briefly talking about if you have a book, because I am looking at the first-person singular stories by Haruki Murakami, and I mentioned that, well, I did like the collection. I am never going to read that again. So why am I keeping it? Why am I compelled to keep all these books, a lot of them paperbacks, that I'm never going to read again? Wouldn't it be better used to give those away or maybe put them in one of those like library boxes you see in certain cities? Like We have those around town. Let's talk about it. Uh, it's probably more of an ego thing just to say i read these books yeah and i've actually read them you know and i'll be like one of those guys that have like for all the company that i imagine you keep in your house that would see your book collection because i know all three people that come over (laughs) here are really impressed by my books (laughs) i don't know if you just look at it logically it seems like a very foolish endeavor to hoard books that you're never going to read again though i I like them for the aesthetic reason but if you look at those bookshelves on the wall that's actually kind of ugly I mean, the yeah. bookshelves are fine. It's just it's a mismatch of books. It's Though I do like when I have a book, because I'm not much of a rereader. I don't really go no. back and re because there's so many new books. Why would I go back and reread old books? Which some people do. They like a, uh, a favorite movie. They'll revisit something. But I don't do that too often. Um, not fast enough of a reader for that. If it's something I read when I was a kid, I'll read again as an adult. Or maybe like, I guess maybe we're just not old enough. Maybe when we hit like 40s, 50s, we'll be like, hey. Did I like those Yukio Mishima books? Let me check them out again. I always, I always had this plan after I got uh, like completely caught up with Stephen King. I was gonna go back and like reread the Dark Tower series, right? Because that's how I got in- introduced to Stephen King's writing. Like I started, like I did it in the most fucked up way, and started Just with, with the and big it, giant. It started with the, yeah, and started with the Dark Tower, and then went to everything else. So it's probably be good to go back and see all the connections that yeah. he has in the books. In his little expanded universe, I think that would be fun. But going back to just this Murakami book, it's just going to sit here now for 50 years. Why do I have it? I could give it to somebody. I have all those other Murakami books. Of course, I can let you borrow those or other people, yeah. which is nice. But after that, nobody else I know is going to read them. I mean, I guess unless if you just plan on taking them to like the library or something. Because yeah. other than that, what else are you going to do with them? I just feel bad having all these it's, books that I'm not going to... Especially like... Like that stuff, like you know, you and me, we have a little bit more of a a wider view or like preference on on other than what some people might, you know. Yeah. So we have some things like that people would be like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> well, and not to shit on any indie authors, but we have all these indie books too. We've been getting over the years and stuff, and it's very unlikely that I'll go back and revisit those. And yeah. I feel like it would even be better to let somebody have that because. You know, maybe I'll turn somebody on to that indie author who yeah. actually needs... Because a Haruki Murakami doesn't really need me giving his book out. But an indie author, that can help them. Because like I said, I don't, it's not like I have a lot of company coming perusing my book collection and being like, ooh. Not like the Barnes & Noble leatherbacks or any, like, Easton Press or uh, any, you know, any kind of fancy books you get. That, that's almost like art. So that's like a display. That's, you know, aesthetically pleasing. The the manga collections, they have the cool, you know, covers and stuff. And, you know, the spines have like the, like the Vagabond series over there. It makes like a cool picture. So 
I get that, but just hoarding like random paperbacks because I have a box. There's comic boxes over there. Like half of them are filled with paperbacks. Now, what about when it comes into like Americomies? Like, granted, you said you didn't like that book, but what do you? I getting? like having the collection. That's though. what I'm saying. Like, like that's like I have just about like uh, you know. I think I do. Like, I have every Stephen King book. Yeah. You know, I have them all, but I have them all. And the only way that I would get rid of one would be, like, one, like, the cheap pig paperbacks I got because I got, like, a nice yeah. new, like, hardcover or, or, like, a first print hardcover. Well, that's like those Yu-Gi-Oh! Like Mishima books. I could have got some of those nice hardcovers, but I'd like just having the paperback just to read. Yeah. And I, I don't – the hardcovers I usually don't want to read because I don't want to mess them up. So I don't, I don't know. And then you think about, like, the environmental factor, too. Like, you just have e-books. We could get all these on. And cheaper. Yeah. It's cheaper to get the e-books. But for some reason, I just like that paperback. Even if I fuck it up, crinkle it up, I don't care. I just like having that physical copy. And then I just like seeing it. I like it just sitting on this table, taking up space that we could be using for more Vegeta statues. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't need uh, don't need all these books. But we have them. And they're not going to go anywhere. Um, See, what we need to do, we just need to find some, like, Dragon Ball um, uh, bookends. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, that would be cool. <laughs> See, here's my solution. It's not to just stop collecting these books for no reason at all. It's just to get more bookshelves. Yeah. It's just to have yeah. more ways to display the books. Well, there's always... I don't a... know why, but I just that's my pulse, my impulse to do that. Well, probably somewhere deep down inside you, or you have like this subconscious like, well, it, it, it's crowded now, but until but then yeah, whenever one I day, be, but whenever I become a, a rich, famous author, and I just I have, have a library, I, yeah, I have no, my own library, and it won't matter how many books I have. So my book hoarding compulsion will be necessary then, yeah. because like if I threw away all these paperbacks, I'm like, oh, now I don't have anything to put on the shelves. Oh. Fuck. Uh, that, that'd be pretty, that'd be a pretty, pretty drastic amount of money you'd have to spend to fill up an actual home library. That's why I collect them. I don't know. I just, I, uh, but there is, there's the, plenty of good reasons to keep the books around too, though. It's like, like you were saying the, the bar, the bar winning, like, I like to see if, uh, Somebody, you know, on the rare occasion when somebody's like, oh, I kind of want to read something or like, well, I, you know, I was like, well, what do you like? What don't you like? And, you know, and then just you go just open just, up the ball, go dig it and be there to see yeah. what you can find and see how, how accurate or how good you can be at it. <laughs> you get the lantern and go down the dark corridors through the fucking cavern until you get to the, the book that's hidden away somewhere. Like, I can't tell you, like, uh, Mike from Pittsburgh Comics, like, he... He doesn't seem like it, but he has to be pissed uh, because, like, there's been multiple times, at least been, like, five books recently where I'm just like, dude, you need to check this out. It's really good. And then he re- and he starts reading it, and he's like, yeah, man, it is really good. Oh, like, like, you know has, what I mean? And he gets wants to it, buy like, more, yeah. Like, I got, him into the, I got him into the Ninja Totor series, so he, like, literally went back and either in single or trades, like, had a, collect, like, a hundred plus issues, yeah. to, you know, to get the whole yeah. thing. Well, you brought up ego. That was like one of the very first things you mentioned when we brought this topic up. Is it an ego thing when you look over at that bookshelf and go, I read all those? Like, is that why you keep them? Is it almost a trophy? Because I feel like it is almost like, okay, I finished this. That wasn't, because unless you're like some kind of crazy speed reader, it takes a while to read a book. It takes uh, even longer if you really want to absorb the book and get something out of it. So to have that on your shelf as a reminder is like, that was an adventure I went on. I like to look at it like that. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily have the eagle thing. Like, I know, like, I like looking at because I basically have a tall, a tall, thinner bookshelf that basically everything other than, like, the bottom shelf are my Stephen King books. And I like, 
looking at that and seeing that entire bookcase of just Stephen King books. Like, you know what I mean? Like, A, like, that's a shit ton of books. I have them up there pretty much in, in order for the most part. And, you know, like, I've read most of them. And again, like, you know, that's one of my favorite authors. I don't have, like, my, like, the Anthony, um... Uh, uh, the the Martian and stuff like I have his couple. Books. Andy Weir. Yeah, Andy. Yeah. Um, Speaking this, of, just not to interrupt you, but Ashley just told me he made it ten pages into the Martian. And he had to stop reading. He didn't like it. He didn't like the info dumps. But I, because uh, I brought it up, was like, well, because he 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 also mentioned like about his wife reading like things that have a lot of info dumps and stuff. And I was like, well, you have to be in a certain mind frame when you go into any kind of like hard science or anything like that, because. His prose isn't really that great. It might not even be that good, but the like the dialogue's funny and the science he makes it interesting. Yeah, I mean like the info dump said he did in that I didn't feel like I was reading info dumps. They felt like they fit because he did it in a way where well these are scientists so that's that you know it, ex- yeah. it explains it like you need to know this and it just works but he and, did, and, and not... you know and a lot of that I didn't even like comprehend or really like all the math mm-hmm. and stuff i just read it and didn't like you know and it didn't affect the way like the story yeah. was well he compared it to ready player one which i have not read me neither but apparently that was like kind of an info dump thing but i think the andy weir like the martian that's one of those ones you just kind of got to give you know if that's not your genre but you want you're trying it out you would have to give that a chance because uh like when you read the black I can see how a lot of people might not like that or that series just because of the tech stuff, but that's what you're that's what you're getting. It's that's what it's supposed to be, especially in the beginning. Yeah, because there, I mean, when you write like tech heavy stuff or things that explain a lot, uh, you kind of have whether you like it or not a bit of info dumping. Yeah. You're not going to be able to really work around that if you want to explain well, how things work, especially when you have in your story uh, take place on weird locations like. Mm. On Mars, or, uh, or, or, yeah, drilling weight rig, like, something to where, like, you gotta make sure the people that have no clue about how that, how that works, how it kind of operates, but you also have to do it in a way so the people that do know don't get mad and bitch at you later online that you did something wrong, you didn't, you know. Right. The drill bit is actually 32 centimeters instead of 36. <laughs> like, fuck, man. Ah, got me, though. He's right. <laughs> he is right. Um,. Probably get to the episode. See, the cold open sometimes gets a little hot. <laughs> and when it starts to get hot, it's not cold open anymore. It's the episode, and which is fine. But it, I got to do the introduction, or nobody's gonna know who the hell we are, unless you listen to the other hundred something episodes we have. We're huge in Japan right now. Nice. We're not. Aww. I wish we were. I thought those Mirakami episodes would translate better. We'll talk about it when we come back after these messages from our sponsors. Douches. Do you need to wash your vag? I don't know the name of a douche company. I'll do better next time. Hello there. This is what you are listening to, which happens to be the Drunk at Pen Writing Podcast. I want to go into some rave music, but I don't know what rave music actually is. I know, like, you know, dance and fucking electronic dance. Yeah. Um, I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, it's a good one. You're going to like it. Spencer, the Ethiopian erection 
Or, oh, fuck. I knew I was going to fuck it up. Oh, oh no, Spencer. Now you can't be that. Oh, no, I got it. Spencer, the Ethiopian Erection Eradicator Church. Was, uh, I don't know why. First one? I, that was it. I just completely forgot the word eradicator, uh, though. I forgot how to. Is that start with an E? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Now it's now it's because they got in my head as soon as I said, it, I was like, "Wait, is that an A E? Fuck, eradicate." That's a word I don't use too often because I feel like that's one of them like dictator words. Like when you start eradicating stuff, it does start with the E, by the way. Yeah. I just remembered. But once you start, you know, eradicating stuff, you, you know, yeah, it gets a little saucy. Uh, today's episode is uh, about books again. More books. Actually, this one's more specific. Reading and writing. I don't know what the title is as of yet. But we had this discussion last time you were here because I mentioned how we've been doing things backwards. Where a lot of times I want to write, but I'm like, well, let me do some reading first because I got a lot to read. And then I start reading and then I never get to the writing. And you brought up the fact that maybe it would be a good idea to, to reverse that. Do the yeah. writing first, and then reading would be the reward. Yes. So I, w- I wish I would have did a poll beforehand, but I didn't think of it, like on Twitter or something. I would be very interested to see how many authors find that when they're writing, especially like novels or longer works, do they read books while they're doing that process? Because I heard uh, Stephen King, you know, maybe like Neil Gaiman, some like more famous authors. I've in the past have mentioned that they don't like to read or read a lot when they're working on something. And I know when I read, like say when I'm reading like H.P. Lovecraft or something, and I'm also doing something that's kind of in that genre, that writing might affect my work. All of a sudden, like, wait, why am I writing like H.P. Lovecraft? Uh, So I could see that would be a good reason not to. But for me, it's just the distraction of it. Uh, but I don't want to give up the reading because yeah. my reading goals are pretty lofty. So I don't want to be like, oh, hey, I'm writing a novel. So for 10 months, I'm just not going to read yeah. anything. Uh, how do you feel about this? Well, I, I feel like the uh, also like the Stephen King example is like unfair on both accounts because not only does he write pretty quick, but I think he also reads really quick, too, because like I remember he said he's a slow reader and he only reads 80 to 100 books a year. This was like I saw on Twitter like a year yeah. or two ago. And I'm like, only 80 to 100 books, you say? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm having trouble just making sure I get 12 for 12 this year. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, actually, I think I'm on par for 65 to 70 this year. Yeah. Which is pretty good because last year, I well, I got bogged down with some big books last year. Was last year when I read Moby Dick? I think yeah. it was. So I, uh. You had like five in the I only, I might have hit 30, my 35. Because I think my third, my goal on Goodreads is like 35, which I, I'm not obsessive about that because like a lot of people, it makes reading not fun when you obsess about, oh, I got to hit my reading. I got to make sure I read this many books. And I'll include trades and stuff in that. So take a couple numbers off yeah. if you want, because not some trades are real big, but then like Watchmen or something. Yeah. But then some, you know, they're not that bad. But I actually just do that to catalog what I'm reading for the year, like when we do our year in review. But I do have a certain number I would like to hit. But again, like if I'm reading Alan Moore's Jerusalem, uh, if I actually, you know, really was reading that and didn't read anything else while I'm reading that, I can um. I wouldn't. I'd would be okay if I only read ten books that year because I read yeah. fucking Alan Moore's Jerusalem. That's like, like three or four right there. Yeah, like I would. Uh, I wouldn't be too upset if like you read a bunch of longer books. But going back to the topic at hand, I do find that. See, well, you know what? It just depends because a lot of times I'll try to read when I'm on my lunch at work or something, or read before bed. I think that's fine because yeah. that's not during my writing time. 
But when I'm putting off writing to read, which I do sometimes, I'm like, oh, I'm tired, but I want to feel productive. I'll read. But then you get tired from reading, yeah. you know, straining of the eyes and everything. Like that, and then you're like, I don't want to write now. I'm tired. Also, depending on the work, sometimes I feel that my creativity is actually drained. Like a fucking, you know, health bar in a video game is draining while I'm reading a book. Like I'm reading that Solomon Kane series. Um, so when I read those stories, some of those are kind of similar to like the short story I'm working on. So when I'm reading that, like all the descriptions and everything, and I start thinking, oh, yeah, that's a cool way to put it. You know, it's like my mind does go in that creative mode and I'm imaging, th- like imagining things. And then slowly it drains. And then by the time I'm done with the story I'm reading, I don't really want to write. Because it just felt like I was already kind of doing that, even though I wasn't writing. I, w- I would think the best way to do it would be to either either read nonfiction or something that's a completely different genre than what you're writing at the time. Yeah. Maybe comic books or some mangas would be a good choice. Yeah, a different medium depending on what you're writing. Yeah. Because I know um, I always hear, like, you know, uh, different uh, comic book writers, a lot of times whenever they start, any of them that really start to make it, you know, get a name for them and start getting some, you know, some light shine on them, and, on them and stuff and start getting a lot of gigs, their reading goes down because they have to spend all their time reading. Yeah. And if they, or to write, and if they are reading anything, it's like, they're not actually, like, reading the comics, they're reading mm-hmm. the scripts of the comics because, you know, they're, that's a kind of tight-knit community and, you know, people become friends and stuff like that. Well, if you go to the just most basic thing, how long would it take you to read, say, a 250-page novel? Might take you a week, might take you a month. Just depends on, you know, yeah. the subject matter and how it's written. But say you're writing that novel. Well, at the best, if you're doing a good job and you're a fucking Stephen King speed writer guy, it's still going to take at least double the time it would you, you know, to read the novel. Not, not to mention that now, once you go to second drafts and stuff, yeah. you're going back and you're reading a whole novel again that you already wrote. Uh, it's a lot of time, so it's hard to also read in your free time when you're doing that. Like, yeah. I think that would be difficult. Though, because we've had a lot of cons here with the reading versus writing, some pros, I do find that when I'm reading certain, again, like even the Solemn Cane, I get, like, some ideas. I get different story ideas. I get ideas for, like, what I might want to incorporate in the story I'm working on from the fiction I read. So yeah. I think that's a good thing, too. So it's I think it's just a balance and time management. And it seems like uh, this could, you know, vary from person to person. There could be somebody out there that can read, a, you know, a couple hours a day and it might not affect their yeah. writing at all. Um, it just depends on the individual. Well, we're also talking about reading as a leisure activity. Like, you do it for pleasure. Well, and I'm just speaking for myself, I'm not incorporating TV, movies, and video games. Yeah. Other things you might do, because that's also a time suck. So, like, for me, most of my free time, like, when I'm doing leisure activities is just reading. So I have a little more leeway when it comes to writing. But somebody who likes to watch, you know, they're watching TV series and they like to watch movies on the weekends. or So now you're coupling that with, you yeah. know, it's like you're adding a bunch of stuff to what you're already doing. So now you have books, movies, and TV. Now where do you find the time to write? Like that's that's when it gets – and then we didn't even talk about, you know, if you have family and work. And uh, there's just so many things you could add on top of that. We're just – Talking about just, oh, my, you know, my reading is affecting my writing. But you can really add a lot of things. Because a lot of people don't even have time to read. 
We also kind of throw ourselves behind the eight ball as well because we keep on coming up for things to read for, like, this podcast or for the website or whatever. So we also, like, put this, um, like, we have to do this writing, but we also have to do this reading yeah. so we can do these episodes for the podcast because, you know, we never have any contact ideas, so. <laughs> I would say at least five hours of my week go to the podcast between recording, and editing, editing, and then publishing. Like, that's a good bit of time, and I space it out, so I do, like, say we record, on, we record on Thursdays, I usually wait till Monday to edit that podcast, because it goes out on Tuesday. So, say an episode's 40 minutes, double that time for how long it takes to edit, because I'm not only listening, but I'm doing all the edits, and then to put it out, that, so usually it's like two, two and a half hours per episode, and then the Mirakami episodes are a little easier, but we still have to record, the, like, it's just, yeah. it takes time to do all that. Now, what do you think, um, because this is another, um, adjoining topic of, you know, when it comes to the writing, what do you think is, like, the ideal amount that you should, like, that you, that you could publish within a year to, because then you know how much writing you need to do, Mm -hmm. and so that you know, like, how much you can have to, how much time you have to section off for that. Cause, you know, like, you hear people, like, especially, like, a lot of, like, indie people, like, oh, I try to do, like, four or five books a year. And I think, like, that's, Damn. <laughs> that's, like, a lot, and it can't be good. Well, you remember that romance? Yeah, I know you remember that <laughs> yeah, romance. Yeah, I'll never forget. Not seminar, a panel we were in. I'll never forget. <laughs> the one, I'm not gonna <laughs> shit on anybody, but they were wearing pajamas at a, their panel. Like, come on now. Uh, a little professional and it was, um, and then also the one lady said she didn't edit at all didn't do it pretty much did a first draft and shitted out the books but she was uh, publishing what three books a month something like that yeah three mo- like you're they're well, gonna be terrible there's well, no way they're good well no but even just like because uh, I've been still going through and, uh listening to older episodes of the dead robot society and then like I don't know maybe like three years three or four years old now but they're talking about like oh you know the one guy, Terry, is like, oh, yeah, I'd like to do, like, three or four books a year. And it's just like, that's a lot. Well, Especially, isn't he, like, retired, though? Well, he might be retired now, but back then, in the, he was, uh, he, you know, back in the time when those, uh, when those episodes were being recorded, he, he was still working. Yeah. They like to, they tend to like to make kind of doorstopper books, you know. Yeah, he does to- write some big books, too, so that's difficult. And he puts, you know, he has beta readers and alpha readers who read his books too so the time to take put that book out and then get the book with the edits and then make the edits and then i i think he self-publishes so i don't know if he has like an actual editor he goes to but regardless that's a lot of work and i don't know how he's able to put out that like that's i mean he'll say like oh this week i did twelve thousand words so it's like all right i think all right, we'll start with the working man. Yeah. So us, uh, so if you, you know, you work a full time job, so we'll say forty hours a week at least. At probably, least, probably more now. Yeah. Um. But I'll, we'll just keep it basic: forty hours a week, no kids. So that's the most ideal situation for you know an up and coming writer. I would say. Uh, I mean, not the most ideal. Ideal just be able to write without yeah. having to work at all. But say that's your situation. I think realistically, you can write one good novel and have enough for a short story collection in a year. I think that would be the tops if you want the quality to really be there. Now, if you're retired or you're like a stay-at-home mom 
or stay at home mom's not a good example because you probably still have a lot of response. Yeah. Stay at home mom, but the kids are in high school. Yeah. So you don't, you know, you don't have to work or, or stay at home dad, whatever. Just the parent. Unemployed, whatever it is, like get unemployment, whatever she, pandemic. You, you, you got a sugar mama, a sugar daddy, whatever. Work it is. from home, whatever it is, but you have the extra five to eight hours a day just to spend on writing. So you could pretty much be a full time writer, even if you're not getting paid to be a full time writer. I think you could up that to a max of three novels that would be okay and two short story collections and that's if you're writing pretty much full-time every day uh this does not include you know the amount of creativity it takes for this or this is just if you have the ideas and you're a fairly quick writer for me i think if i actually wrote for four hours every single day i can probably get maybe two novels in a year like, what? that would be pushing it. And I'm talking, like, you know, average size novels, 200 to 300 pages. Now, what do you think would be a good, um, like, do you think, like, because you don't want to, especially, too, because, like, you don't want to set, like, a, a word president for yourself of being, like, I put out three novels every year, and then when you don't, you have a year when you don't put out three novels. And you feel shitty. You feel shitty. And it's just, like, do you, like, do you want to put that much on to your... Your, your fan base. Well, that's also it's, just like it, the reading goal we talked about. It's not like you should maybe be that would be the three books. Like, that would be the lofty goal. But I don't think that you should ever have an actual number that you're really going to hit. Mm. Like you shouldn't be like, oh, if I don't hit that, I'm a failure. And like you said, that does put a lot on your fan base. Are they going to be able to, you know, not necessarily be able to but buy and read three of your books every single year? Especially as, you know, we keep on using us as, a, as an example of a smaller fan base, so it's like you don't want to just feel like you're shoving things down their throat because, you know, because I follow, you know, I've backed a lot of Kickstarters from, you know, pe- different people we've met at conventions and things like that, and, like, um, you know, Derek Manning, I like a lot of his stuff, but there for a time it was like, too every much. Couple, every couple of months, he was having like a Kickstarter, and it'd be like stuff that I was interested in that I wanted to read. But it's like you only got so much money and I time. So and much, yeah, it was so much money, so much time. Like we we'll also noticed, like when we, uh, like throughout the years, because we had the site up for what four or five years now. Yeah, there were some months or even years where we were very steady with our content output. So there was like months and months where we had something published every day. I tried not to go over one thing a day. Uh, sometimes we had as much as two or three different things a day. But I noticed, uh, which is why I kept it to one a day, and even that was getting to be a too much, is when you publish every day, you're, you know, the views actually go down or they stagnate and because you're spreading you, it out too much. You, you create a, a, yeah. a backlog. Now you'll bring new readers in. But at the same time, your established readers, they might not be able to keep up because people read other stuff, too. Yeah. Not unless, I mean, it's very unlikely that you're going to be the only thing these people are reading unless you're, like, super famous. So the more you put out, the I think the less in return you're going to get. Maybe over time, yeah. you'll you'll get some for that. But like you'll get some views and reads and money and whatever else. But Because yeah, like you said, if you're a super famous artist... Uh, author you can be like you know people will just buy you a book and just put it off to the side like i'll get to yeah. it like i'll read it don't worry i'll get to it it's in the stack but and because it would be in but you don't want that as an independent author you want people to read your stuff so they can tell you is if it's shit or not yeah if it is good they can tell more people so that mm. they can get it you can't you don't you don't have that luxury of like 
a slow burn or mm-hmm. seller, or they just buy it and they get to read it whenever you know. Well, like, you don't hear anything for for a couple months. Well, here's like the example: of just having a very big bibliography. Ray Wink. When we met him, I think the first or second time we bought those couple the zombie books. He had like eighty books on that table. Yeah, like he he's written. I mean, I don't know how long he's been writing for. How you know? I, but it was like every book he's ever fucking written was on that table. And as consumers, I mean, it's nice because oh, now we got a big selection. Yeah. But since we like to buy off a lot of people just to you know test the market and stuff, it's he's actually probably if he had five books on that table and we, they all look really interesting, we might buy all five. But when he has 80 books, and now we're like, you're overwhelmed. You're like, I'm just going to buy one or two and you yeah. know see what else is out here. Just because, you know, there's other stuff out there. It's just too much. Like, so if we it had... Can a, be, it can be a little overwhelming. Yeah, so like, if, you know, if DPW was at a convention, we had a table. And say we had 20 books out. We had, you know, you had a collection. I had a collection. We had novels. Ash had something. We had all the things. I would probably only want three to five different choices. Well, even like... Uh... Uh, whenever we see the South Point press guys now, mm-hmm. they, they're kind of getting to the point where they, they have got, so much they, that I end up not even buying anything a lot of the time. Because yeah, they have like they have the, their titles and their lines expanding, yeah. and like a lot of it looks good, but like it's just like I don't know where where to start or where to begin. Like. And then when there's a lot of times they have like three or four of the actual authors there too working the thing, and then you're just like, well, if I buy his book, but I don't buy his, his book, book yeah. like I'm gonna feel like a dog. Like it's just too much. Um, I mean, that's, that's just marketing stuff. And I would have, again, folks, we're not, you know, published novelists right now. So I wouldn't take our word for it, but this is just what I think seems, you know, kind of reasonable is the more you have out there at one time, the less you're going to get back probably, unless you're really just trying to attack the whole market. Now it might work different for you if you have a sci-fi book, a fantasy book. So you're, each book is targeting a specific genre of fans. Yeah. Um, you might be able to bring in just certain groups. There's, there's not going to be that crossover. But, you know, if you're just trying to get people to be a fan of you, not necessarily just the genre, then it might be hard to uh, reach all those bases. You, you might actually end up selling less because there's too much. Because I know when I see on Twitter um, a lot of people – you know, promoting their books and stuff, but every day they're promoting something else. I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't know what the fuck to focus on. You got too much stuff. Uh, well, I mean, how many times have you gone on like Netflix or something? You want to watch a new show and you just get overwhelmed. And then you end up watching reruns of something yeah, you've seen something, a million times. Yeah. I do that all the time. The I'm, office again. <laughs> there's the, yeah. I fucking put on comedy central and watch the same episodes of the office every day. Cause I'm like, I can't uh, office or Southwark. Yeah. And I mean, fine with either one. Well, to be honest with you, one of the reasons I don't read comics as much is because I because I was collecting them for a while, different uh, runs on stuff, like even Valiant and stuff. Because I like what Valiant was doing. They would only put out a certain amount of books a year. Like, they would only put out, you know, like Shadow Man, and then after that was over, they put out, like, a Bloodshot. Like, they kept yeah. it reasonable. But, like, Marvel and stuff, they put out, oh, here's the fifth event this, oh. you know, year, and then... Oh, if you want to read these books, you better get the Spider-Man tie-ins and the Hulk tie-ins, and then they all come together for this event. I'm like, I, nope. Yeah, it's terrible. Good old Caleb ain't spending (laughs) $8,000 on that. I'm just not going to read any of it. And usually the quality seems to go down, too, when they, you know, companies or authors or whoever does that. Because like you said, if you're putting out fucking six books a year, how good are those books really going to be? Um, Especially if you're self-publishing and stuff like that, it's it's a yeah. lot. It's a lot to 
to handle, and you're bound to make some mistakes and not mm. see errors and stuff like that. Now, it would be different if, say, like to use uh, Terry for an example from the Dead Robots, if he, like his Empire Bones series, if he had five books in that series and he wrote them all first, and then for whatever reason he decided he was going to release them all within the year, at least that was already out. Like, he already wrote that. And, like, there's not going to be as many errors because it's all done. Yeah. But when you release, you know, two Empire of Bones books, and then you're writing the third one, and then you release that at the very end of the year, and you're writing the fourth one, like, that that's too much. Like, you're, it's George R. R. Martin effect. You're like, how do you keep up? And then all of a sudden, like, especially like him, you got a fucking TV show that picked yeah. it up, and it became super famous, and now the TV show went ahead of the book, yeah. and you're just like... Because imagine how rusty probably felt that it's like, oh, shit, I got to get this book done. And yet he still didn't do shit. Probably what we would have done is like, ah, I'm overwhelmed. I'm yeah. just not going to do it at all. Fuck they it. Paid, I got enough money. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because what that, those, what, it's been how long since the last book? At least, what, like 10 or 15 years, right? Yeah. Well, that's another reason why, and we've discussed this in the past, why I don't get into series that often, especially like The Expanse. I yeah. love The Expanse, and I seems like a, that'd be a really cool book series, but... There's so many of them. Mm-hmm. And they're so big. Yeah, they're big. Think of the time. I always think, first thing, how long would it take me to do that and how much is it going to cost me? Yeah. And what if, because the, the kind of guy I am, if I read the first or second, you know, like when I was reading Dune, I read the first Dune, I was like, this is amazing. I'm not going to read any more Dune, though, because yeah. if I get into this and I get the second one and it's good, and then all of a sudden I'm stuck for 15 Dunes yeah. and that's all I'm going to read. And then, hey, Spencer, you want to have another episode about Dune? <laughs> no. Well... We got to read Dune number fourteen. I think there's just too much content in the world. Oh yeah, well, sh- sh- don't don't know too much. There, there's un- not, not that, quality there's, content. There's, there's not enough content in the world. Please buy anything that uh, DPW ever puts out. If we ever put anything out, we gotta put something out first. Uh, niche niche market. See, that's what that's when I think now is a good time to be a niche writer because well, if you're writing a specific crime noir that deals with transgender detectives. There's probably not a lot of those books out, so you'll sell. Well, I was just I was just listening to a comic book podcast, and they're talking to a writer, and I can't think who it is right now. But he was talking about uh, a, oh, I think it was Tom King, and he was telling how some other writer gave him advice, and it was and and you can use this for this can translate to any writing. I I think is that you find what you're good at. And then you make yourself essential for that. Yeah. So you you know like if you are good like if you're if you're good at telling crime stories or noir stories or whatever or sci-fi stories, make it so that you're one of the best and that you know people need to need to read you and that you that you know that. Well, like you think, oh, I'm gonna write you know read fantasy, even though it's like a hundred years later, people are like oh like Tolkien or. Yeah. You know, maybe like Michael Moorcock, if you go in that, like the sword and sorcery genre, or, uh, you know, you think of sci-fi, a lot of people, uh, even now, will still be like, oh, Philip K. Dick. Like, yeah. you, see, here's the, here's the other side of that. Here's the slicing, sharp side of that knife. As a writer, how, if you enjoy writing, that's fine, but what if that's just what you did to get into the business, because, oh, I'm good at writing crime fiction, but now, you know, you get the Stephen King thing, it's like, well, I want to write other stuff. Well, people like that. That me, the horror guy, is writing crime fiction. Like, um, I mean, I guess it depends on how much money you can make out of that. If you make enough money to where it's like, 
you know, I'm known as this crime guy, but I really want to write horror. And you write that horror book, and it doesn't sell too well, but you can still go back to your yeah, crime right. series. Like, you know what I mean? Well, here's an example of how it can work and how it cannot work. Stephen King broke out of the mold. Even though he's still the horror guy, a lot of stuff he writes is not horror. No. And it's really good. So I would say some of it's probably even better than the horror stuff. But go to J.K. Rowling. When you say J.K. Rowling, what do you think of? Harry Potter. Yeah. Well, She has other books. Not, no, any, I not anymore, but yeah. I she, but she, she, writes, but she writes and releases other books still, and nobody fucking knows what they're called. Like, I don't know. I don't know the names of yeah. them. But the, the also argument, the, the, the argument is that She's made enough money off those those Harry Potter books. Mm. Like, would like how? Like, I mean, I, you know, we 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 talk about doing, you know, for the love of writing and the, and this and that. But if you could make a series and you could make a billion dollars, make a billion dollars and get these movies and stuff like that, and like nobody else bought anything else that you ever wrote, would you be really upset about it? If I could look into like a crystal ball or something, and it was foretold that if I wrote Bigfoot Fuckerotica <laughs> and I would make $10 million, guess what I'm writing tomorrow? Oh, yeah. Like, guess what I'm going to be known as the Bigfoot Erotica guy? And then my integrity will, uh, I'll, I'll, your integrity. I will deal with that later <laughs> yeah, like, after the $10 million. But when you get the fuck you money, you can really do whatever you want. You're exactly. And it's like, why is the Bigfoot fuck erotica guy writing kids fantasy now? Because fuck you, that's why. Because he like, wants to. Don't worry, there's no Bigfoot in it. Well, there's going to be Bigfoot in it. He's just not going to be sexual. Big. It'll be Bigfoot before he became a sexual deviant. <laughs> okay. um, I was going to say who wins in the Bigfoot sex thing. Like, you know, if it's a lady and a Bigfoot or a guy and a Bigfoot. I feel like Bigfoot always comes out on top. What if it's a lady Bigfoot? Yeah. And why does he only have one foot? Why can't he be big feet? Like, big big foot, little foot. You know what? I think Bigfoot is a fucking colonial fucking bullshit that they just threw on. To, he's a Sasquatch. Yeah. That's what he is. He's Sasquatch. He's not fucking Bigfoot. No more cultural appropriation. No more stealing Bigfoot and making him white. He's a goddamn Sasquatch, and that's what I like. Okay. Sasquatch fuck fiction. Sasquatch fornication books. What I'm going to Would that be in a species... In his species erotica? If he's a monkey-like thing, is he more man than Bigfoot? I mean, you're the one writing it, so it's up to you. If I was writing it, he would just be a really hairy caveman type guy. But his name wouldn't be Bigfoot in the erotica. It'd be Big Dick. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. You know, you know. Yeah. Yeah, he got a Sasquatch, all right. Also, I, I always preferred the Abominable Snowman, actually. Because he's like... Chill? Yeah. And also, like, what would be horror, more horrifying? Lost in the woods, fucking Bigfoot comes up. That's scary. But I feel like you could run. But if you're just in the ice mountain, you can see that abominable snowman coming. Well, not at all. Well, he, well he, if he's white and the snow is coming and it's white, you might yeah. not see him. But then, like, you can, how are you going to get away from that? Why we always fucking... I feel like it's been a while since we talked about this, but let's not talk about this anymore. Because I think that's another thing that, you know, they don't really talk, bring up when people talk about writing is that it is a job. Like, it is you know, a job. It is a job. You're uh, trying to write for a paycheck. If That's if you're writing articles for a website or reviews. Well, we or... talked about this in the past. Do you write what's going to pay the bills or do you write what you are passionate about? And the when you're both, it's both. But when you're like an upcoming writer, because you know, like I used to be a freelance writer, and I got paid for fiction, um, not fiction, um, fitness articles and satire articles and things like that, and it was fun for a year. By the like the third year, I was so over it that well, I wasn't even was hitting an, my deadlines anymore. Well, 
Well, that was a shitty website. Right? Well, no, I went to a better couple other websites and stuff, but and what were the pays on those? Like, obviously, don't say what the pays were, you know, on air. Well, but the like... ba- the base rate for most freelance stuff is like fifteen bucks, like for so... like a five hundred to maybe a thousand word article. But then they would always have bonuses per view. So, like my viral articles, I might make a hundred dollars an article because that's the goal is to yeah. hit, you know, you know. Be... So if you hundred bucks for five hundred words is pretty yeah. good, in my opinion. Unfortunately, that didn't always happen. But I would say more often than not, I got you know, an easy 50 bucks. But Is that 50 bucks worth well, the time and the effort to go through that? Originally, those didn't take a lot of time because it was just me having fun. But then when they started assigning, like I went to a different site that paid more. Uh, but they started assigning me work. And then I got fucking booked with a stupid editor that was like British. So he kept... Fucking with my grammar, and I'm like, no, color does have just an O. The, the U is you. The, you putting a U in the word color is British. This isn't. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't England. Like he kept correct. I think he actually got end up getting fired because he was doing that because he had a couple people under him and he kept correcting their grammar. And then I, like British grammar is different than American grammar, and it was an American website, so he kept doing like a you know that's neither here nor there. But uh, they kept like assigning me bullshit articles that wouldn't go viral like i knew they wouldn't go viral so then my pay fucking plummeted yeah and i don't know why they I, they just they took on too many writers but it turned out it's because the guy was selling the website so he wanted to look more professional so he started doing like science-based fucking articles and shit so like i had to write about the why people in iceland were so fit and i had to have all these sources cited and stuff and i was like this is garbage nobody yeah. cares uh and sure enough nobody cared about that article but anyway it's tough out there. I could probably be a very well... I might even be able to make a full-time living as a freelance writer now if I would have stuck with it and just kept moving up, but I just didn't enjoy it after yeah. a while. Uh, like most jobs. it starts. I mean, it was cool to work, but then I wasn't writing any stories or anything. Because, yeah, you wasn't writing stuff that you wanted to write. Yeah, so that that's, that's a problem with like a lot of freelance writers, I think. Now, a lot of novelists who even like Nicholas Obergon... They do side work yeah. as freelance writers, but I feel like that's a bit different because if you already have kind of a name, you probably get a you know better rate and uh, you kind of get to pick more. Like if, you know, if Rookie Mirror called me, was like, "Hey, I'm I got this article." It like it wouldn't matter. New Yorker, uh, any of the big magazines or what newspapers, they'll publish it and. They don't assign him the article. He yeah. just picks the article. Like a Stephen King, if he was like, hey, you know, whatever fucking's big up in Maine, literary magazine, if he's like, hey, I got this story, I would like you guys to publish it. Yeah. Like, that's the place you want to be where you tell magazines, like, hey, I got this thing. I would like you guys to publish it, and you pay me. And they're like, yes, sir, because they know that would bring them yeah. a lot of money and views. But we're, we're very far away from that. But yeah. they're, they're bringing it all the way back to end the episode. We're... Have we landed with the whole reading versus writing debate? Does reading negatively affect your writing, or do you think it's more positive? It's and how you use it. If um, like anything else, you can abuse it, and it can be a hindrance. But if done properly, I feel like it can be uh, it can be beneficial in in helping you with either just uh, clearing your mind a little bit. Uh, maybe getting your mind off the story so you're not actually thinking about it, and then that way you can, you know, if you're having trouble, it can, you know... I think the old adage that all writers start off as readers works until you become a major writer. Like, that's your career or something, and then I think at that point, it's uh, 
writing should be above reading. So even though we're all readers, any writer that is worth something and puts out good content is probably a reader foremost, but at some point I would say they transition and now the writing is what's most important. Yeah. So even though they read as a leisurely activity or to get inspiration or things like that, they're probably writing more than they read. That is the hard thing that I don't know when or if we'll be able to reach. Do you imagine your, this will be the final question here. Do you ever see yourself writing more than you read? Because I think that's when you finally become, you know, you switch from consumer to creator. Yeah. Because that's, that's a, that's a different way to look at it, you know, because I think most people just think, oh, you know, I love reading, but I write and you never really think about it. But what do you do more? Are you making the donuts or you eating the donuts? Yeah. And this isn't like saying, oh, you know, I wrote a book and now I'm going to take a break between my next book so I can read 10 fucking books. Like that's different. But I'm saying while you're writing, do you write more or do you read more? Um, I think we would both probably be better if if we we would write more. more. Yeah. It's hard, but I think that's the transition we need to make. And that might go with the ego thing, too, or just the uh, compulsion that, you know, I want to... That stack never gets smaller, does it, Spencer? No. That read, to read stack never gets smaller. Never so, gets smaller. Um, and then it's a little tough because we do read books for the podcast and stuff. But I think that uh, we can we can make that transition to uh, maybe start off just, you know, I'm going to read an hour a day, but I'm also going to write for two hours. I think yeah. that would be the good move, actually, which seems doable. It doesn't... I mean, it's hard just to limit yourself to like an hour to read or whatever. I mean, I don't know what your reading schedule's like, but I usually read for at least an hour a day. Probably more than that if you add like things I read on my phone and stuff. But just like say I'm reading a book, yeah. it's usually about an hour a day. But can I say that about my writing every day? No. Sometimes no. I write for five fucking hours in a row and I feel amazing. Mm. Other times I don't write for three days. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> it's very. Uh, I think I need to spread no that out. And, yeah, I need to to work on that, but. Do you think Stephen King writes more than he reads? I would say so. Probably at his peak, I would say now he probably he, he's more leisurely. I would say. I mean, I mean, come on. If you was his age now, I'd be doing more reading than writing. I don't know. He still puts out like two books a year. I mean, because think about how many short story he he writes too. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like Stephen King, you know, he writes for what he says like eight hours a day. Yeah. Do you think he's reading for eight hours a day? Mm, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I, like I said, you know, not counting if they take a break, they take three months off and all they're doing is reading. They're not worried about writing anything. Because once you become like a famous novelist, I think you could do that. You don't need to be like, oh, I'm going to work on short stories and this like we are as fucking middling writers who just want to make something of ourselves. I think you uh, once you make it, you can just do whatever the fuck you want. But when they're writing, I think the, the Neil Gaiman's and the Stephen King's of the world are definitely writing a lot longer than they spend reading during the day. Probably on average, yeah. Yeah. I think we'll end it on that. I would like uh, you listeners, if you uh, have an opinion on this topic, please reach out to us because I would like to know, especially uh, fellow indie writers, and even if you're an established writer, if you're published through traditional means or you're, because uh, we do have some listeners who are uh, doing very well for themselves, and I'll slow clap for those. Uh, like Benjamin Cross just released his book not that long ago. Yeah. Very good. So, uh, it's Colony, by the way, if yes. you want to check that out. Uh, listen to the interview we did with him, too. But you can reach us at drunkenpenwriting.com. Uh, Twitter would be the fastest way, at drunkpenwriting. Instagram and Facebook, also drunkenpenwriting. And you can check out the YouTube channel by the same name if you want to watch a still picture while listening to the podcast. Uh, 
I, I originally did these in motion. I don't know if you noticed the first few podcasts I put on YouTube. I like got like a generic, uh, like somebody walking in the woods or something. And those got way more views. Not way more. They got more views, but only like a couple. Of views. Takes like eight hours to fucking upload. And also, I don't really care. Yeah. Uh, I like if we do videos, it's that'd be fun. But it, that's the whole time management issue. Yeah. But anyway, thank you for listening and uh, keep on writing and also reading. Do just, both. Just not as much. Just write more. <laughs>